1: All the road along was covered with the slain, bruised in a shocking manner by the wheels of the guns and other warlike vehicles on the retreat of the French army on that road. Numbers were actually crushed as flat as a piece of plank and it would have been difficult for any man to distinguish whether they were human or not without a minute inspection. The road was also choked full of guns and ammunition wagons which the enemy left behind them.
0: Those were the words of Sergeant Archibald Johnson of the Scots Greys, describing the French retreat from Waterloo. Sergeant Johnson's is one of the voices from the battlefield, collected in the military historian Robert Kershaw's excellent anthology, 24 Hours at Waterloo. I'm Adrian Towardin, and I'm the French editor of the TLS. I've recently returned from a visit to the battlefield at Waterloo, just before the 200th anniversary. Why go? Well, I'm not a historian, much less a military historian. But it seems to me that Waterloo transcends history as an event that has had a huge cultural, social and, arguably, psychological impact. It is, in the French historian's term, a site of memory, and hence my interest. Waterloo itself is a small town 17 kilometres south of Brussels. In 1815 it was just a village, most of whose inhabitants fled in the hours before the battle. It's worth remembering that there had already been two costly engagements, between Napoleon on one side and Wellington's Anglo-Dutch army and the Prussians under the aged Marshal Blücher at Ligny and Quatre Bras, just two days before Waterloo. The armies met again on Sunday, June the 18th, and the citizens of Brussels would have been attending mass when hostilities broke out, sometime after 11 in the morning by most reckonings. They would have heard the cannon fire and known what was happening. The battle was to last some nine hours, In the words of Robert Kershaw, even by the ghastly standards of the day, Waterloo was universally regarded as being extremely violent. The battlefield site is some four kilometres further south of Waterloo. It's not a tranquil place of reflection. The N5 highway from Brussels to Charleroi flanks one side of it, and it's sliced by a main road on the northern side. The first thing to catch your eye as you step off the bus and cross the motorway bridge is the Lion's Mound a 43-metre conical artificial hill, on top of which stands the statue of a lion. The mound marks the spot where Prince William of Orange, later King William II of the Netherlands, was hit by a musket ball to the shoulder. The monument was completed in 1826, and, according to the novelist Victor Hugo, Wellington, on revisiting the site, complained, They have altered my field of battle. The monument stands on the Mont Saint-Jean, on the northern edge of the battlefield, where Wellington made his stand. Near the mound is the handsome rotunda which contains the panorama of the battle, executed by the Parisian artist Louis-Jules Dumoulin in the early 20th century. 110 metres in circumference, it's an impressive sight, even if it is showing a bit of wear and tear now. Nearby is the brand new underground Waterloo Memorial, an impressive interactive museum of life-size exhibits, on-screen reproductions of paintings relevant to the battle, and a superb timeline. It would be easy to spend a couple of hours in the museum, but the high point of the visit is a 15-minute 3D film of the battle, during which you really can feel as though you were there. I climbed the 226 steps to the top of the mound. From there, you have a panoramic view of the undulating fields where the battle took place. And to the right, as you look south, is the famous farm at Oogoumont, ...when Napoleon launched a brutal assault on British and Hanoverian troops. Augumont has recently been restored and a plaque was unveiled on the eve of the anniversary by the Prince of Wales. Waterloo has of course been immortalised in literature. Stendhal, in his great novel The Charterhouse of Parma, sends his picaresque hero, the 17-year-old Fabrizio del Dongo, to Paris during Napoleon's Hundred Days. From there, Fabrizio goes on to Waterloo, where he thinks he's taking part in the battle but is not quite sure. However, the passage you are about to hear makes it clear that he was present.
1: Our hero fancied himself on a shooting party. He ran joyfully out towards the game he had just shot down. He was already touching the man, who seemed to him to be dying, when two Prussian troopers came charging at him with incredible speed to cut him down. Fabrizio dashed off as fast as his legs would carry him towards the wood, flinging down his musket in order to run more easily. The Prussian troopers were not more than three paces from him when he reached a newly planted clump of young oaks as thick as one's arm and standing very erect, which fringed the wood. These little oaks held up the troopers for a moment, but they passed through and continued their pursuit of Fabrizio along a clearing. Once again, they were within an ace of reaching him when he slipped in among eight to ten big trees. At that moment, his face came near to being scorched by the flame of five or six musket shots let off just in front of him. He ducked his head. When he raised it again, he found himself face to face with the corporal. You killed your man? Corporal Aubrey asked him. Yes, but I've lost my musket. It isn't muskets we're short of. You're a damn good fellow, though you do look as green as they make em. You've run through all right, and these men here have just missed the two who were chasing you and coming straight towards them. I didn't see them myself. What we've got to do now is do a quick bunk from here." The regiment must be a quarter of a league away, and what's more, there's a bit of open field in which we may find ourselves surrounded and taken. As he spoke, the corporal went marching off at a brisk pace at the head of his ten men. Two hundred paces farther on, as they entered the little field he had mentioned, they met a wounded general who was being carried by an aide-de-camp and an orderly. "'You must give me four men,' he said in a faint voice to the corporal. "'I've got to be carried to the field hospital. "'One of my legs is shattered.' Go to hell, answered the corporal, you and all your generals. You've all of you betrayed the emperor today.
0: In the French, Corporal Aubrey says, va te faire foutre, which is a bit ruder than go to hell, but never mind. To Standard's depiction of the battle, we could add those of Victor Hugo in Les Misérables and Thackeray in Vanity Fair, while Georgette Hayer's novel, An Infamous Army, is said to give a very accurate account. Walter Scott, meanwhile, was the first celebrity to visit the battlefield in August 1815. He wrote a vivid report which was published the following year as Paul's Letters to His Kinsfolk. He also wrote a dreadful epic poem, The Field of Waterloo. Byron, meanwhile, was rather more acerbic about Wellington in his epic poem, Don Juan. And I shall be delighted to learn who, save you and yours, have gained by Waterloo. This week's
1: TLS looks at linguistic barriers and the problems of translation from medieval England to present-day Japan, wonders what it's like to be an octopus, and walks in the footsteps of Walt Whitman, Charles Dickens and Herman Melville through the urban degradation of New York. To find out more about the TLS, and to read a free selection of pieces from this week's issue, go to our website, the-tls.co.uk. You can read the TLS in full every week in print or via our app, which is available on iTunes and in the Amazon App Store. The TLS. Life in every word.